Well, good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. We have been in a series called Thrive, and really the premise of the series Thrive is really John chapter 10, verse 10, and we all probably know that, but John 10, 10, Jesus says the thief comes to what? Still kill and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and what? Have it more abundantly, that ultimately the whole point of John 10, 10 is Jesus wants his followers to know this truth, that he wants us not to just survive life, he wants us to thrive. And so as we began this series, we began to look at what are some things in our lives that keep us from thriving? What are some things in our life that keep us from thriving? And so we began with this idea of the past, looking back to the past. Maybe it's past regrets, past failures, couldn't even be past victories, and we're holding on to those things. And rather than looking back to those things, we need to be looking forward to what is ahead of us if we are going to thrive. And then last week we talked about one reason we don't thrive sometimes is people, right? Anybody, can you say amen to that? People sometimes keep us from thriving. And I know there's a lot of things you can say about people, but ultimately we talked about people who hurt us. Anybody been hurt in the room? Let me see your hands. Anybody been hurt? Absolutely. We've all been hurt by people. And so people that hurt us can keep us from thriving in our faith. And the thing that we looked at last week was because we are hurt by people, and because they sometimes keep us from really thriving in life, we need to make sure that we realize that we're, we're called by God not to respond like the world will respond when we're hurt with malice and slander and rage and bitterness and all that. We're to respond as Christ would respond, with kindness, tenderheartedness. And then the big one was forgiveness. And we talked about what biblical forgiveness was last week. And so today we're going to talk about another area that keeps us from thriving, and it's this. And I want you to brace yourself. Are you ready? Here's another area that keeps us from thriving sometimes, and it is money. Now, I know when I say money, for many of you, automatically you want to kind of push back a little bit. For many of you want to go, hey, don't be talking about that because it's mine, it's personal, and I've heard every message ever preached on money, which you probably have, so just stay away from the topic. Well, listen to me. Hear my heart on this. Do you understand, do we understand that Jesus spoke about money as much as he spoke about anything else in the New Testament? Did you know that? Now you say, well, why would he do that? Well, because Jesus understood something that we need to understand, and it's this, is that for those who claim to follow Christ, if there is an area that the enemy will come and he will target us and try to do all that he can to help us have a wrong worldview, a wrong view of money, all those kinds of things, it's in the area of money. If there's any area the enemy is going to come after us and try to get us off track and to keep us from thriving, it's by having a view of money that is not a biblical view of money. So I want us to have a biblical view of money. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you would. I want to read, first of all, there's a couple things I want you to notice about this passage. And the first thing is this. So as you look at it, we are going to see first and foremost the truth about Money. Look with me in verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says this, For the love of money is a root to all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. So here's what Paul says to Timothy. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Do you agree with that? Say amen. See, some of us, we're not so sure. Because okay, when you think about money, 
You know, it's the old expression. You remember, uh, you remember the movie back in the 80s? Some of you, I'm really going to date myself. And I think Patrick Dempsey was a star. And the name of the movie was uh, You Can't Buy Me Love. You remember that? Anybody remember that movie? Okay, like three of you old enough to remember. Okay, maybe four. Okay. So the whole premise of the movie is money can't buy love. And then he's like, I'm going to give this thing a shot, right? And so ultimately, he gave that a shot. And many of us think, well, money can't, we, we would say intuitively, money can't fix our problems, but we would sure like to give that thing a shot, right? And so the reality, the truth about money is this, is that the love of money is a root, that's what he says, a root of all kinds of evils. In other words, that all the evils in the world that we face, not all of them, the root is money, but some of them, a root to the evils we go through is money. It is, now what, it, it is this idea that, that the money, the, the root is the idea that it is the foundational issue that leads to some of the evils that we face in life. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say that the love of money is the roots of all kinds of evil? Well, think about it, uh, many evils. Think about it. When we love something, what do we do with it? First of all, if we love something, we pursue it, don't we? I mean, when, uh, Craig, when you, were, when you fell in love with Jill, did you pursue Jill? Yes is the right answer. Good job, Craig. All right. So, so when you fell in love and you were going, did you pursue that person? Yes. I mean, you didn't just like sit back and go, hey, I hope this thing works out. You pursued it. Well, the thing about it is because we have a tendency to love money, we do what? We pursue it, which means that we are going to battle the evil of greed. You know what greed says? I need more, right? That's what greed says. Greed says, I need more. And if we make pursuing money a priority in our lives, maybe a chief priority in our lives, if we make it a priority in our lives, ultimately we're going to fight the battle with greed that says, I need more. Now, once you get money, after you've pursued it, the second thing we always do with money is we want to hoard it, right? It is mine. I want to keep it. And when we have a hoarding mentality, then we begin to fight the battle of ownership, that it is my money, I earned it, I want to keep it, I get to decide what I do with it. Are you with me on that? So when he says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, what he's saying is it is a foundational issue for many of the evils that we face. And it is because we are pursuing it, and once we get it, we hoard it. And so we're battling this evil of greed, and we're battling this evil of ownership. And so you think about it, when we pursue money and we go after it, when it becomes a priority in our lives, it is the root to all kinds of evil. For example, like lying, cheating, stealing, and here's one we never think about, self-indulgence. I think one of the greatest evils that we battle as Christians is that of self-indulgence. Here's what self-indulgence says, it is mine and I will do with it what I want. So if I want it, I'm going to go get it. And one of the evils that we battle as believers is this idea of self-indulgence. And when we buy into this notion that it's my money and I can do with it what I want to, then we run the risk. Listen to me, church. Then we run the risk of forgetting to do something. We, we begin to run the risk of neglecting a responsibility that God has given us, and that responsibility is to give. See, when I think it's all mine and I can do with it what I want to, I will run the risk of missing out on the responsibility that I have as a Christian to give back to the Lord. Now, let me illustrate. Anybody a visual learner in the room? 
Great, great. I am too. So I'm going to do an illustration. Some of you thought we were going to have Lord's Supper today. No, I just have cabbage under here. It's not Lord's Supper at all, actually. We're just going to do some cabbage here. And I, and I want to uh, kind of illustrate what I'm talking about this morning. Because for many of you, now not all of you, but for many of you, when you think about your budget, I want to divide it up into like 10 half heads of cabbage here. Because that kind of makes sense and I'm never good at math and it works better for me. So for many of you, when you think about your finances, one thing you look at is, okay, I've got a house, right? I've got a house. There's a payment there. And that's a part of my income is allocated to a house. And we all know that. For others of you, you go, okay, well, in that house, you know, I've also got to have groceries, right? How many like to eat food? Anybody? Okay. So you've got to have groceries, and so that's an issue. And they're like, well, you know what? I drive a car, and I've got to have some gas, and so that takes some of my monthly funds. I've got to have groceries. I've got to have gas. Oh, and by the way, I've got to be able to get from point A to point B. So for many of us, we have a vehicle debt, right? We, have made it. we bought something, and we owe on it, and we've got a vehicle that we've got to pay for. Well, then as you continue to look at our income, you go, okay, well, you know, the thing is, if I have a house, guess what? I've got to pay for water. And oddly enough, I've got to pay for sewer too, right? And so we've got these bills. Are you with me right now? You understand I'm talking about your budget and my budget right now. We get all these things coming in. And then, you know, for many of us, we've got to have a phone. We think we've got to have a phone. And so we've got a phone bill. And if you're like me, you think the phone bills are ridiculous and they're ever climbing, aren't they? But then that's not enough. How many of you like to watch TV? Sports. Hallmark, all that stuff. Many of you do. And so we've got cable, or you've got Disney Plus, or you've got Hulu, or you've got Netflix, and you are paying out for something that you want to watch for entertainment. But then it goes on, and if you've got a house, you've also got to pay what? Your electric bill. Because if not, guess what happens? What happens? They turn it off, right? It's not a true question. They turn it off. And then you get over here. Then you've got insurance. You've got, if you've got a car, you've got to have insurance, and you've got to pay for that thing. So if you run into somebody, that would be a bad deal that you've got to fix. So for many of you, you can say, okay, I can resonate with that. Oh, and by the way, we've got upkeep too, right? I mean, because things break in your house. I mean, I've never, when moving to Florida, you know, I've never paid a person ever to trim a tree until I moved to Florida. And these daggum palm trees feel like every other week they need to be trimmed, right? And so you've got upkeep and we've got all these things to the house. You need a new roof because guess what? We are in Hurricaneville. And so it's like you get all this upkeep with your house. And for many of us today, it's okay, I can resonate. My budget goes to many of the things, and you could probably add a lot more, but there's many of these things that my budget goes to. And then for those of us that are believers, okay, but I also know that I need to be faithful to save some money, right? Because guess what? Occasionally, something may blow up in your house, right? A car, a motor may blow up. And then for those of us that are really faithful in the Lord, we'd also say that I need to make sure that I'm giving 10% to who? Come on, 10% to who? The Lord. The Lord. Now, here's, for many of us in the room, this is the way your finances roll out. You've got all these different bills and all these things that you have and you do. You want to protect your upkeep. You're trying to save 10%, and you're trying to, you're trying to tie 10%. And for many of us, you know, you bought into the, the Dave Ramsey or the crown idea, which is, you know, save 10%, give 10%, and live on the rest, and which is great. But here's where, as a believer, we've got to be careful. Because somewhere along the line, as a believer, we're going to go, you know what? As long somewhere along the line, I want some stuff. Like, what are some things that we might want in life? Just random, not, not spiritual things, but things we might want in life. What? A new bicycle, right? What else do we want? What? Vacation. Amen and hallelujah. If you need one, Joe Vegas can help you all with that, right? So you're welcome for that one, okay? So, yeah, we want vacation. But here's the problem 
with our indulgences. Is there anything wrong with wanting a new bike? Is there anything wrong with wanting a boat or going on vacation? Absolutely not. Those self-indulgences are not wrong. Here's where the problem lies, is that when we look at our income and we look at all that's going on, okay, if I want a bike and I want a vacation or I want a boat, where am I going to take it from? And that's exactly where many people begin. And what started as this turns into that. Well, you know what? I, 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 do, I do really like that boat. And that vacation, Joe Vegas, man, she sent me on a Disney cruise, and it was amazing. But, man, that thing was expensive. And guess what? And eventually, what should have been God's, we begin to take away from God and rob God so that we can meet all of our self-indulgences. And what I would submit to you today is those self-indulgent things you want, the boat, the bicycle, the vacation, none of those things are wrong. It's when we rob God that it becomes an evil that we will have to battle. Does that make sense to you this morning? And we need to get that this morning. And so he says, listen, the, root of, the love of money is the root, is a foundational issue to all different kinds of evils. But he also says this, he says that there is a result of this, as a result of people loving money, many people walk away from the faith. Go back with me and look with me in verse 9 through 10. He says this in verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and to a snare and to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. In other words, for those that are believers that have let their life become consumed with and prioritized with the love of money, there's been some evils that they've had to fight in life. But here's what happens to people, especially believers, who fall in love with the almighty dollar. Eventually, it can lead us away from the faith. Why? Because instead of me leaning in and pressing in and trusting God, I just need to work harder, do more, and have more. I don't need God in my equation. I just need better effort, more hours, maybe a third job, right? And he says, listen, for those that the love of money is part of your life, it will lead many of them to walk away from the faith, and they will self-impose different pains in their life. Think about that. That if the love of money is the root of our hearts, not only do we have run the temptation of walking away from the faith, but we also run the temptation of bringing other things, destructive things, into our lives. Let me give you an example. Does anybody know what one of the top reasons of bankruptcy in America is? Credit card debt. Credit card debt. It may be number one. I don't know. It's one of the top three for sure. One of the top three reasons for bankruptcy is credit card debt. And you know the premise of a credit card. Swipe it now, pay for it later. I remember when David was little, we were going to a store. We were probably going to Toys R Us because when they were kids, I was addicted to that. And so we would go in there, and David was like, hey, Dad, I want this. It was like a little Lego kind of thing. He said, Dad, I want this. And I'm like, son, I don't have any cash on me. And he literally said, Dad, just Swipe the card. <laughs> He's, because in his mind, it was as simple as just swipe the card, pay for it. Who, do, who cares in 30 days you're going to get a bill and either pay it off or incur interest? Because we live in a world that says, I want what I want, when I want it, and I want it when? Now. And he says, listen, here, here's what Paul says about money. The truth about money is this, that when you love it, it will be a foundational source to many evils in our life. And if you love it, you will run the risk of walking away from the faith and bringing and self-imposing pains in your life. And many of us have seen that. 
But then he, does, he walks away from this, and he, he shifts the gears, and he challenges believers with really two things. The first thing he challenges believers with is rather pursue godliness. Look what he says in verse 11 and 12. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. In other words, this idea of loving money, walk away from that. He says, rather, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you, the good confession and the presence of many witnesses. In other words, rather than make the chief pursuit of your life the almighty dollar, pursue godliness. Rather than falling in love with money that will bring destruction and bring evils in your life, pursue godliness, meaning pursue what it means to live a life that's honoring to God. Pursue uh, living a life where you find out and you discover what does it really mean to love my neighbor as myself. Pursue this notion of being kind, even if that person is not kind to you. He says, rather than pursuing the almighty dollar and pursuing loving money, pursue godliness. Now hear me on this church. The key to us doing that is allowing our pursuits to be driven by eternal things, not temporal things. Did you hear me? The only way that we are going to pursue godliness is when we let our pursuits be driven by what matters in the scope of eternity rather than the temporal. Can you take your home with you when you kick the bucket? Can you take your bank account? Can you take your retirement plan? No. Can you take your beautiful red Corvette? Absolutely not. But what you can take with you and what will make a difference is in this side of eternity when we're investing in eternal matters rather than temporal ones. And if we're going to pursue godliness, it begins. And the key to it is letting our pursuits, letting our pursuits be driven by eternal things, not temporal things. And the second thing he challenges them with is this idea to be content. Does anybody know what contentment means? See, I think oftentimes in church, we, we, we confuse contentment with complacency, right? Complacency is, I'm just going to kind of settle for mediocre. I'm going to settle for where I'm at. Contentment is saying, wherever I'm at in life, I'm thankful, I'm blessed, and I'm satisfied that God has me where God has me. That's contentment. Whether that's financial whether that's location, wherever that is, contentment says I am satisfied with what I have and where I'm at because this is where God has positioned me. That's contentment. And so he challenges this church that to not only pursue godliness, but to be content. Look with me in verse 17. Skip down to verse 17 through 19. He says this, ask for the rich. Now, some of you go, well, that's not me. Real quick, that's not me. Just a quick question. Anybody got change in your pocket or change in your vehicle or change in your home lying around? Anybody? By the world standards, you're rich, right? By the world standards, if that's the case, we're rich. So this is us. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, which means prideful, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. They are to be, do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of which is truly life. Now, here's what Paul says, first of all. Verse 17, go back to it. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. Here's what Paul says. Here's what it means to be content. Trust God, not money. 
that true contentment will never be found when our trust is found in money. Only contentment will come when we trust God. Now he says here, so for the rich people, for those that have some money, for those who are wealthy by the world standards, listen, don't become prideful. And don't become prideful and don't even become hopeful in the uncertainty of riches. In other words, we live in a world where people think this and they have always thought this, that if I have more money, that means greater security, that means greater stability, and it means all these things are going to be greater in my life. And here's what we all know to be true. You can have it one day and it be what the next? Gone. He says, for those of you that are rich, which is us, don't become prideful thinking I've made it. Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of your riches that could be here today and gone tomorrow. Your finances does not build security. Your finances does not build stability. He says, but rather trust that God knows your needs. And be, listen, and be content with his provision. See, that's where most of us struggle, right? We want to trust God, but can we be content with his provisions? Do you think God knows all your needs? Sure he does, especially the fine, absolutely. I'm sure there's some of you in the room today that can look back over life. I know one in particular can look back over life and go, okay, there's been a season where I didn't know where the next, I didn't know where the next house payment was coming from, but all of a sudden you look back and you see how God took care of you. You see how God navigated some things for you. You see where God stepped in and did some stuff, and you didn't find yourself trying to steal from God. You found yourself leaning in on God, trusting God. See, to be content means to trust God not trust money, and trust that his provision is sufficient. So to be content means to trust God, not money. It also means be generous with what we have. Look in verse 18 what he says. Go back to that. He says, they are to do good. Talking about the rich. They are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Here's what he says. I want the people, the believers, to be generous with what they have. Did you notice there he said rich? And good works. Now, what does he mean? He literally means this use what you have and help others. Use what you have and be generous. Now, why would he say that? Why would Paul tell Timothy to tell these other believers that they need to be generous with what they have? Because Paul understood something. And it's this that when we are generous, when we are faithful to give, whether it's helping others or giving to the Lord, we are battling our temptation to lean us toward greed. We are battling our potential for greed, right? We're battling that. Because when we give and we are generous, we're battling this notion of greed because we're reminded that everything belongs to who? Everything belongs to who? It belongs to God. It's not ours. It belongs to God. And when we are generous, we are reminding ourselves that everything I have has come from God and everything I have belongs to God. And it helps us fight the battle of greed. It also helps us fight the battle of hoarding. Because we're reminded that God has allowed me to have what I have, not so I can hoard it for myself, but so I can use it to advance his kingdom and be responsible with it. See, I would contend this, and I want you to hear me here. I would contend that a lack of generosity is a reflection of a lack of contentment. That when we refuse to be generous, it's because we are not content. We refuse to be generous because we don't feel like what God has given us is enough, so we want more. And so Paul tells this Timothy to tell this early church, these people he's around, not only to pursue godliness, but to be content. Trust God, not money, and to be generous with what they have.
So if we look at this passage, we see the truth of money. We see that the love of it is the roots of all kinds of evil. And we see this believers what we're to be about. We're to pursue godliness. And we're to be content with where God has us and what God has for us. That means trusting him, and that means being generous with what we have. But here's why this is important for us today. Listen, here's why this is important. We know this. If you've read the Bible at all, here's what you know. All the way through the Old and the New Testament, God has always had a remedy for greed. God has always had a remedy for hoarding. God has always had a remedy for the evils that the love of money brings with it. And you know what that remedy is? Giving. It's always been the remedy. And, you know, and, and primarily for us as believers, it's what's called the tithe in the Old Testament. The tithe is a tenth percent. That's why you, in case you didn't know, ten half heads of cabbage here because that's what it's about. It's about taking a tenth of what I have and giving it to the Lord. And I know some of you go, well, Doug, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus never said we are to tithe. I would say you're wrong. See, the only compliment that Jesus ever gave the Pharisees were what? They were tithers. Jesus says, I've come not to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. Jesus also said, give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Jesus just feel like, I don't have to talk about the tithe. He's made some statements advocating that. And so he did talk about it. But if you look at Jesus, he didn't just talk about, you know, this nature of giving our tithe to the Lord. Jesus raises the bar in Luke's gospel. He talks about being rich toward God. You remember the story of the guy who had so much that he kept building bigger barns and bigger barns? I mean, he was a hoarder of all hoarders, right? He's building bigger barns, and the guy comes to him and says, your life is going to be demanded of you tonight, you foolish man. And Jesus ends the parable by saying this, this will be the same for all of you who are not rich toward God. Here's the point. Jesus says that the bar of 10% is the bar. Jesus challenges us to raise the bar. That for those of us in this, this, the, the body of believers who are faithful tithers of the Lord, we need to begin to wrestle with what does it mean to exceed that? What does it mean to raise the bar in my own life, in my own giving? See, I would, believe, I would say that for us as Christians, we are called to be tithers and exceeders. That we're called, first and foremost, to give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord, which is not this small fraction, but that. Are you with me on that? But also, when we're doing that, that we would pray about what does it mean to exceed that. And so when we think about giving, we first of all think about the tithe. Then second of all, when you read scripture, you hear by knowing the tithe, but you hear this word called offerings, right? You've heard offerings talked about before. Offerings is not the tithe. Offerings are above the tithe. They are not part of the tithe. You can't go, you know what, I really want to give to that ministry because that's a really awesome ministry. So I'm going to take part of my tithe and I'm going to put it over here. It doesn't work that way. The offerings is above and beyond the tithe, and we don't have time to read it because of time, but if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we won't turn there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's addressing the Corinthian church, and he's asking them for a relief offering to help some Christians that are in Jerusalem, and the Corinthian church has become kind of stingy, and so he talks about a church in Macedonia who has nothing, and they've given everything. In fact, they've exceeded what they could give, and he's challenging the church of Corinth that when they give to do it with a cheerful heart, and he reminds them, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. You sow generously, you will reap generously. What is he talking about? He's not talking about the tithe there. He's talking about offerings. And so when we think about giving, God has always had a remedy for the evils that come in our way when we start falling in love with money. And the remedy is always giving, whether it be of the tithe 
or be the offerings. Now, let me just say this to you. For those of you who are like, oh my gosh, that's a lot to take in. Well, take this in. There also comes a promise when we're faithful to give to the Lord. You know what that promise is? Malachi 3.10 says this. Can we throw it up on the screen? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Here's the promise of God, that if you will be faithful to do what I've asked you to do, I'm going to blow your socks off. I'm going to do for you, and I'm going to bless you. And you say, well, Doug, does that mean if I give $100, God's going to give me 1000 back? No, that's called the prosperity gospel, and that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that when I live a life of obedience, God is going to bless me. When I am faithful to give, God's going to open up the floodgates of heaven, and he's going to bless me beyond all measure. Now, I want to tell you something. My past, pastor's heart to you. I feel like for us as East Campus, man, we've gone through a year, haven't we? Man. It's been like this, and a lot of times like this, right? And we've gone through some craziness this year. But can I just say this? I feel like the blessings that we received as a church, the things that God has put in our way, the possibility for land is like 200 feet across the road from us. I mean, all the things God did, I feel like God has blessed us. Why? Because the people of God of East Campus have been faithful. You've been faithful to give to the church. In fact, this year, this last year, 2020, Cross Life East gave 35% more than we gave in 2019, and we went through a pandemic. I mean, that is amazing. I mean, you know, Pastor Mercer and I talk about his life. I mean, do those people understand how awesome that is? And the answer is maybe not. But it's amazing that our church, even through the downtimes, have been faithful to honor the Lord. So let's not forget this, that the remedy for the greed that we wrestle with and the remedy for this, this, these evils that can come our way when we love money has always been giving. Giving of the tithe and giving of offerings. And when we are faithful, guess what God does? He blesses, right? Do you believe that? Say amen. He blesses. Now I want to challenge us today with this. I want us to thrive when it comes to our view of our finances. I don't want us to be a lover of money. I want us to put our trust in God, and I want us to be content, and I want us as a church to have a heart of a giver. In fact, at Cross Life, one way we do that is every year, if you've been around for a while, you know this, every year we do something we call stewardship emphasis. If you've been in small groups, you've been talking about that. And the stewardship emphasis is basically this. We want to challenge people to have a heart for giving. And here's how we do it. We ask those people, and in fact, if you want to grab that envelope that's beside you, just maybe one per family is all you really need. But here's what we ask people to do. Maybe you're that person who gives nothing. We want to challenge you, would you start somewhere? Would you start somewhere? Because I believe if you start somewhere, God's going to blow your socks with how he's going to bless you. And then for some of you that what I will call would be maybe random givers, like, hey, I've got like $6 in my pocket. I'm just going to throw it in as I walk out. That's wonderful. God bless you for that. But maybe you need to pray about what it means to become a percentage giver. And you say, well, Doug, 10% is a lot. Well, start somewhere. Start with 2%. Maybe work your way up. And then for those of you that are faithful tithers, 10%, would you pray about what it means to exceed that percentage? Now, on this card here, we're going to ask you to take a moment at some point to fill this out. Now, let me tell you something about this card you need to know. Number one, I will never, ever, 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 did I say ever enough? Never, ever see any of these. The only person I know who gives is Sonia and I. If I don't even, Sonia knows how much we give because I'm the one who always writes the check. So I'm the only one I know is me and my household. I never want to know anything from anybody else. 
Also about this card, if you fill this out, no one's going to call you in June going, well, you're kind of behind. Nobody's doing that. Let me tell you why this card is important for us as a church. First of all, this, because it helps us as a church be better stewards of God's money. See, when we know what Cross Life East says, we're going to try to give this year the best that we can. It helps us as we move through the year, be a better steward. Don't you want your church leaders to be a good steward of the money that God has for us and trusted us with? Absolutely you do. This helps that. This card also helps us make a commitment. And here's the commitment. To our family and to the Lord that we do not want to be a lover of money. And one way to battle that is by giving. So I want to challenge you to do that this morning. For many of you, you came in this morning, you knew in Stewardship Emphasis, you knew we were going to do this, and you already know it, and you can take a moment and fill that out and, and fill it all in and, and put it you know, in the, back in the envelope and seal it up, and as you leave, there's a basket. Don't put it in the big thing where you put your offering. There's a basket at that table back there and a table as you leave this morning. For many of you, you might want to take this home and say, honey, let's just pray about this. Listen, I'm not pressuring anyone. Don't walk out going, that preacher, I tell you what, if you've been around long enough to know, you know that that's not who I am. But here's who I am. I want us to be faithful. I want us to be a church that is obedient to the Lord. Don't you? Amen? Don't you? As a body of believers. And so I want to challenge you. Maybe some of you need to take this home and just say, you know what, honey, let's pray about it. We'll bring it back next week. In fact, we're going to give you a couple more weeks an opportunity to fill these out and turn these in. No one's going to hunt you down if you send one out. No one's going to fill one out. No one's going to hunt you down and go, hey, you know what? Hey, I didn't see yours, Patrick. Why didn't you fill one out? Nobody's doing that. This is our opportunity to say, I'm making a commitment to the Lord that I'm not going to be a lover of money. And I'm going to give back to the Lord. It's my opportunity to say, church, I want you to be a good steward with God's resources. So I want you to know how much I plan to give this year. So if you take a moment and do that. So here's what I want to do this morning. We're, I'm going to pray for us. And I want to challenge you to take that card with you. And many of you want to fill it out. That's fine. And as you leave in the moment, you can drop them in those baskets. For some of you, just take them home with you. Just pray about it. Say, God, would you let us know what that number is? And like I said, if you're giving nothing, start somewhere. If you're giving randomly, percentage give. And if you're a percentage giver, would you see what it means to really be rich toward God? Let's all stand together as we pray. Let's all stand together. God, I love you. I thank you for today, Lord. I, I know talking about money for so many is like, oh my gosh, it's so stressful. But at the end of the day, Jesus talked about it a whole lot. Jesus reminded us over and over and over again that we can't serve two masters. We will love one and hate the other. And he specifically referenced we can't serve God and money. And Lord, we know that when we become a lover of money, when we pursue it to every, with everything in us and we try to hoard it and say that it's ours, Lord, we know in that moment we become enslaved to it. So God, I pray for us as believers. I pray for us as a church today. That today would be a, mo a, a time of liberation for us. Today would be that moment where we go, you know what? That one of the reasons that maybe I'm not thriving in my spiritual walk is because I don't have the right view of money. But today I understand the truth about money. Today I understand that rather than pursuing it, I need to pursue godliness. Today I understand rather than seeking for more of it, I need to be content and generous. And today I understand that your remedy, God, from the beginning has always been, your remedy for the evils that we face, the, the greed that we wrestle with, the hoarding we wrestle with, your remedy has always been the same. And that's generosity and giving. So God, I pray today as a church that we would be faithful to give our tithes, that we'd be faithful to give 
and moments of offering like in a couple of months, Lord. We're going to be talking about this next level giving because we want to buy this land and we're going to vote on it and we're going to ask people to give to it, Lord. We want people to pray about that and do it not begrudgingly, but to do it with a spirit of joy and excitement and cheerfulness that you've planted us here and that you're creating a path for us to have a home and we get to be part of that. God, I pray that for us today. So you, may you move in this moment. God, I pray for any spirit in this room that would try to move us off of this idea to the, to the point where we're, we're, we're offended by this idea of money. We're offended that we're asking people to do it. God, I pray that your spirit would work in us and remind us that as a church, we need to be good stewards of your money. But as believers, there are moments we need to make some real commitments establishing that we will not be a lover of the almighty dollar. And this is that opportunity. Lord, just be with us. Whether we fill this card out today, whether we fill it out this week and bring it back next week or the next, may you just, re- just be with us. May we just feel a great sense of obedience as we do that because we know that everything we have belongs to you. And so my prayer as we close today, Lord, is simply this, that we would be reminded that when we obey you, we are reminded of the amazing faithfulness that you have. And may we now be thinking about that today, Lord. May we declare it as we sing. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen and amen.